Hello and welcome to Down with the Patriarchy. I'm Ben Richards. And I'm Elia Jo. He's as white and male as they come. And she, well, she isn't. <laughs> but together, we're hoping to explore some of those composers that we don't yet know very well. So today, episode two. Episode uh, we, two. Episode two. We have we've made it to episode two. God knows whether or not anybody listened to episode one because we're recording this <laughs> immediately after episode one. So we maybe... don't tell them that. <laughs> oh, we don't tell them that. Do you know what? You, you, this, you may never hear this because the first one may be such a catastrophic failure that we decide to pack it in. But I hope not because it was good fun, and I hope we're going to have good fun now because we're talking hope... about. Yes, go on. I was just going to say, and I hope they think it's fun. Well, hopefully, you know. Please, if you know, please do write in to um, us at a, at a. Well, you can't, but if you want to, <laughs> then please do. No, they can send us messages on oh, Anchor. Can you can send us a message. So please you message us on Anchor and yeah, just tell us what you think. If you like it, if you don't like it, if you think that, you know, if you don't like me or you do like Ellie or whatever, or just just, you know, just say nice things. Just say nice things. Make us feel good. And share our podcast. Share yes. it. Subscribe to it. So you get a little notification every time that we post something new. Yes. And and you'll get more of this kind of top quality banter. We're just so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We, anyway. can't, we can't say that we're just so funny. We have to pretend that we don't know that we are, even though we're not. Um... <laughs> anyway. Um, right, should we talk about musicians now? Yes. Episode two. This is Germaine Taillefer. She was a French composer of the 20th century. Now, Germaine Taillefer is quite interesting to me because as anybody who has spent any more than two minutes with me during 2019 and 2020 will unfortunately know, I did my dissertation on Francis Poulenc. And can you believe it? And so the reason why I was interested in talking about Taillefer is because she was in Les Six, which was this group of six composers who all worked in Paris and were most famous as a group in the 1920s. So Taillefer was born in 1892. And unfortunately for her, her father, being a very classy man, decided that he wasn't happy that she wanted to study music at the Conservatoire. So she was originally Germaine Taillefer, but she changed her name to Taillefer to spite him, to basically yes. give him a flick of the V's and tell him where to go. <laughs> so the Lacis thing is really interesting. So basically, it, it all came out of nothing to do with these six composers. For for reference, the six composers, and this is this is where my French is going to go really wrong. So we've got <laughs> Francis Poulenc. And we've got uh, Taifa. Now, Taifa was the only female member of this group. Then we've got Darius Miho, Arthur Honegger, Georges Auric, and Louis Duré. So those are the six people that make up this group. But they didn't decide to become this group. In fact, their compositional styles are not in any way, shape or form the same. What happened was, is uh, Jean Cocteau, who was a very famous literary giant in um, in France, particularly in the 1920s, he published a manifesto called Le Coq et la Harlequin in 1918, which basically was his manifesto for how music should be. And basically what we're talking about here is he hates Wagner and Wagnerism. He hates Debussyism. And he believes that music should be about the experiences of lived individuals. It should not be about the ethereal. Think of think of all of the, you know, 
otherworldly pursuits of those characters in Wagnerian operas yeah, and the impressionism of Debussy. He doesn't care very much for all that kind of stuff. He wants music that's grounded in the sounds of the city, in the experiences of normal people, and for it to be simple, clear and direct. Okay. So this is kind of where we find ourselves. And a critic by the name of Henri Collet decided in 1920 to basically put these six people together. And they thought, well, I mean, this is a benefit to us in terms of publicity, because if we put ourselves out there as they cease, then people will come to us and see all that. And they would spend their evenings of a weekend or a weekday at the bar known as Le Boeuf sur le Toit in Paris, which is actually named after one of Miho's operas. Oh, sorry, not operas, ballets, you know, opera, ballet, you know, I don't know. It's all on stage. It's all on stage. <laughs> uh, and so imagine, if you will, if you've seen A Midnight in Paris, the Woody Allen film, it is basically like that. You've just got a bunch of artistic people all kind of drinking and singing and dancing and socialising and having a wonderful, wonderful time. And Taifair is a part of this. So her compositional style is an interesting one, really, because you can't quite pin her down. And she's not Poulenc. Poulenc, you know, very, very direct, straight to the point music, particularly his choral music, which we know very, very well. But Taifair's music does wander around stylistically. The first piece of music when I was researching for this that I listened to was her piano concerto. And it's very much in the neoclassical genre and was at the time compared to Stravinsky's piano concert, not very favourably. Uh, we'll get on to that in a bit. But it's it's very inspired by Bach's third Brandenburg concerto. And it does have the same relentless energy of that type of music. Mm-hmm. And in, in a similar way to, to that music, doesn't necessarily have what we would characterized as a strong melodic core as perhaps a lot of romantic music would have it it uses its perpetual motion to plow itself along Mm -hmm. so that was 1924 i believe but then you compare that to perhaps her ballad for piano and orchestra which was published in 1920 and that's a completely different picture it goes from slightly dystopian dreamlike fantasy land at the beginning very French dreamlike with no clear melodic framework mm. and then moves then into a quicker uh, two four slash three four alternating dance in the middle and it's got this wonderful it just ebbs and flows through these different kind of musical styles and you're never quite sure where the the clear melodic framework for it it's not like a Rachmaninoff piano concerto where you go ah that's the that's the melody that we heard earlier and you know and now it's in the strings it does just put you in this trance it's not really it's not you couldn't call it romantic it definitely mm-hmm. borrows from that world of harmony and stuff but it's definitely more dissonant than that and actually at times makes you think of Maurice Ravel which is no surprise because in 1924 she started spending a lot of time with Ravel working with him and obviously was inspired a great deal by him and Ellie you were saying that earlier that, that I um, was so yeah. I, I've, I'm a violinist and I've played a lot of Ravel especially his string quartets we played them at school and as soon as I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit down and listen to this supposedly amazing composer who Ben is telling me all about, my heart just went, I know this, because it just felt so like the Ravel that I'd played and that I know inside out. And it just was screaming that at me. But then, as you said, it's so hard to pin her down because you listen to something else and it's just so un like And yeah, it's, it's, it's just an interesting one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, because the thing about Ravel, I mean, the the ballad struck me as as very Ravel-like in places. Mm. And it it reminded me of the piano concerto in G from Ravel. But interestingly, it was written before 
Ravel's Pen and Concerto was written. Mm. And there's a section, Ravel makes a lot of use of, of trills in the first movement of his Pen and Concerto in G. And it's very similar, this section, in not in sort of melodically or anything like that, but just this kind of sound world that you're in is very similar. So I believe, I believe of the, the members of Lysis, I think she was the last to pass away. She lived a very long life. She was 91. She died in, in 1983. Mm, she did well. She did well. And she was still composing weeks before her death. And actually, she, she, she continued to compose for many, many years. She, she went to America during the war. She went to Philadelphia and, and lived there to see out the war and came back in 1946. Like Florence Price, as we discussed last yeah. week. She had an unsuccessful marriage. I think she had two unsuccessful marriages. I believe the second one was an abusive one, mm. which is very, very sad. And she returned to Paris after the war and continued working. And then she, uh, in her later life, then took up the position of, as an accompanist at a private school in, in Paris and used that to supplement her composing. And she lived this very long and very interesting life. But of the members of Les Cis, she is certainly at the bottom of the pile when it comes to being known. I just want to read you a couple of things that I found on the internet about her. I've got in front of me the, the obituary that was in the New York Times from, from 1983. And it states that after completing her studies, Miss Taifa threw off academic restraints to compose uncomplicated works that combine brightness, humour and gentle lyricism with the quote, I write what I feel. Now, I'm not sure about you, Ellie, but I detect strong undercurrents of patronising How sexism. rude! I know. I'm a, a I know. little bit of shock. Well, it, it's, it's a very polite way of basically saying that she went to university, then decided, bugger it, I'm not going to use all of that. I'm just going to write easy music, which, which, and I, I understand that if you listen to, say, the piano concerto, you think, well, this is, this is quite uh, elementary, mm. but it's not, it's not, it's not like as if it's been written, you know, I couldn't write it. It's, no, it's not, it's not, I didn't it, think uncomplicated is fair at all. No, I, I'm not at all. But then this is, this is where it gets really interesting. So there's some, some quotes from, from 1920s critics of her music who tended to emphasise Taifa's visual appearance. She was, she was a very attractive lady, and there are some brilliant pictures of her, like, in a full, like, you know, fur. Full glammed up. Yeah, and, and looking every bit the 1920s Parisian lady. And this quote made me chuckle. Paul Rosenfeld, this was uh, his, his quote, uh, her inclusion in Les Cis was merely a byproduct of a fine enthusiasm for the sex on the part of the five male members. Now, I'm not really sure how well Rosenfeld knew Les Cis, but I mean, you don't have to know very much about them to know that both Jean Cocteau, who was their sort of impresario, and Francis Poulon were both frightfully frightfully queer you know this is oh, not yes. a this is not a this is not a bunch of chess beating heteronormative patriarchal men no, this is this not. is paris in the 1920s everything's very fluid and i'm not surprised that, that there's a, a woman included in their ranks because that they were a very cosmopolitan very free bunch of people absolutely um and so yeah the, the fact that basically these american critics and obviously being american and less enlightened than than the french were at the time chose to basically justify her existence in the group by nature of her appearance mm. um, and, and 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 talking about the stravinsky it was said that stravinsky's concerto has significant and beautiful melodic ideas or themes in it and hers has not so you know, once again, what we're seeing here is rather than taking her music and reviewing it in its own right, they go, right, how does it compare to let's just pick a male composer and see how they compare to them. So it's this really interesting thing. And actually, there were books being written 
about 20th century music before she was dead that were that were writing her history long before she she had a history to be written and it's just so interesting that basically what happened with her was that her entire legacy was was written by other people before her life was even over and it's interesting because i think you know the lacys do in some ways have this happen to them kind of across the board and i know particularly with poulenc that it has taken a long time for critics to start to appreciate his music and people would often say that it's too simplistic it's too frivolous it's too fanciful it's not proper music it's not serious music and now people have reassessed it and realized that that it actually is worth a listen and i think I think it's a similar thing that needs to happen and is happening with Taifa, but it's happening behind the curve because, of course, she's a woman. And, and when they when you see the list of people in Les Cis, she's towards the bottom. Mm. And I, it's a really interesting thing because she's associated with people who now are quite well known for their work. But I would argue that she's probably, if not the least, then certainly one of the least well-known of the six people. Exactly. Uh, and you just think when... Is someone's work put, work put, output of work is so unique and so inspired in its own beautiful way. Mm. And so, to quote that obituary, so uncomplicated and mm. so amazing to listen to because it just carries you off somewhere else without being as bloaty and dreamlike and airy-fairy as some of the other French composers. It just seems so unusual that she would be placed at the bottom of the pile. But yeah. then you suddenly remember that she's a woman. Of course, she's going to be at the bottom of the pile because that's the environment that she was living in. And I think one of the interesting things is that she was criticised. Her music was often sort of cited as as being rather feminine. Mm. And her response to that was, "Well, I write what I feel, and if that happens to be feminine, then so be it. But I don't." You know, Why I does that have to be a bad thing? It's a brilliant response, though, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, really, really good. I'm going to write what I want to write, and if and if that happens to be in your mind feminine, then so be it. I mean, I am a woman, so naturally, what I feel is going to be, as you say, feminine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it doesn't have to be that bad thing, and I think so frequently, female music is put in the category of feminine as a bad thing. So you hear the work of Clara Schumann, and I was actually speaking to a broadcaster quite recently who said Clara was no Robert and one of the main reasons for that is because she was the feminine version of Robert but yeah. then I don't think you can compare the two and I don't think it's fair to say that just because she was a woman she was feminine and say that's a bad thing. Yeah and I think one thing I would say as well is I think as, as musicians and I, and I wager this at people who, who are very knowledgeable is I think we sometimes let our knowledge of harmony and structure get in the way of enjoying music. I'll be the first one to admit I couldn't analyse in a proper way the music of Taifa that I've listened to but I can tell you that that from you know from my personal tastes there was stuff in there that I was not expecting there's stuff in there that 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 challenged my thinking but it but ultimately left me feeling I remember I remember thinking after finishing listening to it last night that if I was in a concert hall listening to that that there would have been this wonderful ebb of silence and I would have just felt very fulfilled by listening to it it's thoroughly captivating music and and is is not should not be characterized as universally simple and some of it is, but in a beautiful way. And I, I it doesn't think... have to be a bad thing. No, no. It's, it's so funny because you have composers, these white male composers like John Cage and Philip Glass, who write this simple music. And mm -hmm. its whole being is 
the fact that it's simple. Minimalism is an entire movement based upon a theme and kind of just doing it over and over again. But no one ever says that that simplicity is a bad thing. So yeah. why does the fact that her music is so pure and simple mean that it's not as worthwhile to listen to as something by Ravel or something by Poulenc or someone else in Le Cis? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I just just come across this other quote here. So this is this is this is a book from 1951. This is 30 years before she's even died. Mm. The music of Germaine Taillefer embodies many of the more feminine characteristics of the new school. It was indeed a happy time for the little talents. Oh, the little talents. Yeah, oh. and I think it's interesting because I mean, you know, it's important to recognize that that she as a, you know, as a group, Les Cis had this issue across the board, regardless of whether they were male or female. And I think that's important to to recognise. Actually, a lot of this is not, I mean, some, a lot of it is sexism, but a lot of it is just snooty music critics being exactly. snooty. But I think it particularly because of the fact that in reevaluating her legacy, it's just taken people longer to get to her and to appreciate it. And And why? You know, why? What is it about her music that is 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 not just immediately, you know, what you is think putting about her? Well, exactly. I mean, I, I'm, she, I'm, her music is not especially long or particularly complicated. It might not necessarily be universally as easy to follow as as a simple set of theme and variations or something. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Exactly. And, I, I think no one would ever call music by Shostakovich kind of easy listening you never sit there and think oh this is this is easy to follow but you would never go that makes it boring or that makes it irrelevant no so it's interesting and it's very sad that rather than to let her legacy play out that these people decided to write it for her while she was still writing music you know while she was still well there was there was still a story to be told and and they decided that the story was was over that's awful how yeah. dare they kind of tell her what is to become of her legacy. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, it's 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 fantastic music, and it's very difficult to explain exactly what it is because it doesn't conform itself to a particular ill. You know, it's very comparatively easy to identify if somebody played you Mahler, you would know it was Mahler. Yeah. If somebody played you Mozart, Tchaikovsky, even. Mozart, yeah. yeah. Exactly. If so, and even if even if somebody played you Mozart and you guessed Haydn, you'd be broadly in the right exactly. spectrum. But with Taifair, you could play the piano concerto and say, well, that sounds like Stravinsky or maybe some really out there Bach, and then play them the ballad or perhaps the concerto for harp and piano. And then you hear this music, you think, oh, I have no idea who this is because exactly. I've never heard anything about it like it before. I think that's, um, I think it's really important to think about that. I mean, you you never question with artists, for example, uh, visual artists. Yeah. That they always have different movements. I mean, you see artists nowadays... I'm thinking of a specific artist called Sophie T. And mm. she says that every year she will purposefully change her style. And you look yeah. at Picasso and his work changes so much over different periods of his life. But yeah. as soon as a composer does that, she becomes wishy-washy and she doesn't have a particular style. But mm. that's not a bad thing. It's fantastic that she's got such different moods. As she says, she paints what she feels. No one yeah. feels the same every single day. No. And you only have to you only have to look at Schoenberg Guralida and then Schoenberg and Pierre Lunaire and and you realise actually Schoenberg was one of the great 
late romantic composers who then decided that he didn't want to be one anymore. Exactly. But but also, you know, I think it it is just a wonderful thing, and you see it with the other members of Lisi, you know, particularly knowing Poulenc's music that it, there is a consistency to it but it does move between styles and it and you know his songs are not exactly what you would expect but they are in that kind of really just sort of luscious kind of eveningy French oh just luscious kind exactly. of I, I don't I don't want to say romantic because it's not it's not romantic in the kind of conventional 19th century Austro-German um, yeah of course completely different no it's it's that kind of French um, it's, it's kind of love as opposed to romance. Yeah, it, a vo- very evocative music. Yeah, exactly, passionate. But but then you get to his, his sacred music. It's very stark. It's very. It's, it's like it's, like, it's to like, the point. It's like a cold church wall. You yeah, know, it's, I completely it's, agree. It, it's it's built strongly and it's very much there and it, it it's sits functional. There. Yeah, and then so and I think what's amazing about this group of people is that they don't have a single compositional goal except they know what they don't want to be but that doesn't mean that they're restricted on what they are and actually as a group it definitely sort of petered out by about 1924 mm. and then with the wall street crash in 1929 it definitely went away there was a reunion i think in the 1950s there's some lovely pictures of them when they're younger and then you see some pictures of the group of them with jean cocteau when they're older can you imagine uh, there was a modern group of people having a group chat and yeah. kind of sharing with each other oh guys what do you think of this this latest one yeah, I think it's so lovely to think of that. It's, it's like imagine if, like you know, I don't know, Gabriel Jackson, James McMillan, Cecilia McDowell, Judith Weir, um, Will Todd, and I don't know, uh, Owen Park were all best mates. Exactly. And none of, you, can't, you can't say they're all the same in terms of like what their music sounds like. No, absolutely not. And I don't think any of us these days would say that Judith Weir or Cecilia McDowell is kind of towards the bottom of the heap. And no. I think that just speaks volumes how much stuff has changed since Lassis, really, since back in the day. Yeah, and I think that's that's the great thing about it is that, you know, for I think for many female composers these days, we won't have to do a re-evaluation of their, of their comp- compositions because their music is out there now. It's being performed and people are listening to it and enjoying it. And you don't have to justify why you're putting Judith Weir in a concert. No, I it's completely agree. It's just accepted agree. as really bloody good music you know i agree i completely agree i think we just have to think that this is music that is phenomenal and beautiful and it just because it's feminine just because it's uncomplicated as again i'll quote him and just because it's i don't i don't want to use the term wishy-washy again but just because all of her work doesn't sound the same like all of that of maybe mozart does it's just brilliant music and yeah. I think if we're going to bring back our absolutely not stolen from any dating apps, our swipe left and swipe right, I'm <laughs> going to give her a big swipe right. I'm going to give her a big swipe right too. I, I, I'm waiting for the day when we have the gumption to swipe left. I know, <laughs> I feel absolutely savage. But, but, I, but I do feel that, you know, this is not a, this is definitely a deserved swipe right. This is, you know, basically you have no excuse. If you ever listen to any of the music of any of the other members of Lissis before, go and listen to hers. She was not there by any virtue other than her brilliant ability to compose. Exactly. And, you know, we, we should be regarding her on the same plane as the likes of Poulenc. And yeah, I'm very, very glad that this podcast has given us the chance to explore these people because what amazing music. 
I completely I hope, agree. I hope to God when we can all actually go out to a concert again that somebody will put her music in a concert because I'm going to be there. I know, and and maybe they'll put her in a concert because they've heard our little podcast. Well, Imagine let's not that. get ahead of ourselves. But <laughs> yeah, if, if if Simon Rattle is listening to our podcast today, you know what to do when you get to um, uh, when you get to the Bavarian Radio Orchestra in 2023. Put Thai <laughs> Fair in your program. Exactly. Yeah. And on that Good. note. I think we'll call it a day. Should we say farewell? Thank, Thank you for listening once again. Thank you so much for having a listen to our podcast. Remember to press subscribe and send us a message. Yeah. Um, you can ask us questions. I'm sure we'll be more than happy to answer anything that you have. But remember that we're students. We're not geniuses. I'm sure you'll be confused <laughs> at the prospect that we aren't geniuses. But well, we'll try to answer anything that we can. So send us a question. Also, if you if you have any suggestions of people you'd like us to cover, then please let us know because Definitely. You know, this is a learning experience for us all. And and and, and actually, I only came about Thai Fair because a friend of mine suggested it to me. So thank you, Jamie Stainer. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was. Please do get in touch. And God knows what we'll be doing next week, but we will be doing stuff. We're we're we'll hoping find to something. <laughs> we're hoping to may, maybe start having some chats with other people about certain ideas and concepts. Um, so. Stay tuned for more of that. Exactly. And if you would like to be one of those people, if you've got something interesting that you'd like to share with us, then please get in touch. Absolutely. So we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. See you next week.